0: Well, praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a big hand this morning. One last time. Lord, we bless you. And you're worthy of our praise. We'll give your neighbor a high five. Tell him, good to see you. Your spouse is here. Give him a little hug and say, I'm glad I married you. Well, daylight savings time. I hate it. How about you? Don't forget, what the devil taketh away in the spring, God restoreth in the fall. So just kind of hang in there. All right. Let's see how many times we hit the snooze alarm. Who hit the snooze alarm more than once this morning? Let me see your hand here. All right, we're going to see the winner here. How about more than twice? Keep your hands lifted here. How about more than three times? Come on, high now. You ought to be proud of yourself that you at least got up four times or more. Five times? Six times? I think you got it with five. How, what's the, how, many, how many minutes are between each snooze? Okay, well, praise the Lord. I'm just thrilled you're in church. Give her a big hand this morning. <laughs> hey, turn your Bible. to the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I've been doing a series called Attention Getters. And it's been a series of messages where we're looking at people in the Bible. We're doing Bible profiles of men and women who got God's attention and saw Him do something big in their life. Uh, It's built on the premise that God doesn't just arbitrarily bless some person people and ignore others. It's built on the premise that when God wants to do something to help people or help the world in a big way, He doesn't arbitrarily choose a person and ignore another. How many know when it came time to build an ark in the old early days in the Old Testament Noah, Noah was not accidentally chosen. How many know Noah was chosen on purpose? Because if you say Amen a little louder, I'll preach a little shorter. How about that? Well, God picked Noah, and He chose him not arbitrarily, but He chose him on purpose. And what we're trying to do is kind of go to the Bible and like, like searching for diamonds in Murfreesboro, find those principles in the lives of people that have gone before us that cause them to get God's attention. You remember last week, and of course, I believe the Bible is a very practical book. When I read through the Bible, for example, we've got a Bible God. I encourage everyone to be a Bible reader. Uh, I've heard it said many times, a chapter a day keeps the devil away you know, and just think what happens if you do too. But we've got Bible gods in the lobby on the phone app or internet. But I, I, as you're reading through Chronicles, uh, let me know God can just speak to you, not just with historical truth, not just information. But when I read my Bible, I'm looking for historical context, what it meant to those folks then. But the big thing I'm looking for is how is God speaking to me in this today? What principles can I apply from an Old Testament passage into my world today? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Last week, we looked at a man named Cornelius. You remember Cornelius in the New Testament? uh, He was a guy literally that God used to have the privilege to literally open the door of salvation to billions of non-Jewish people. We talked about the Gentile Pentecost, and God didn't choose this guy arbitrarily. He chose him because, you remember, four things. He was a devout, God-fearing man who helped the poor and lived a life of prayer. He was a Roman soldier. So he's an ordinary guy like us, but he got God's attention. Now this morning in Old Testament passage, Jehoshaphat, he was the king of Judah. Uh, he was at a per- particular period of time where life is going pretty good, but all of a sudden an overwhelming army attacks them. And that's the title of the message, Attacked. And what go- he's going to show us is how a crisis turned into a blessing. You're going to see that after the crisis, God blessed them in a measure way more than they had. And how many know crises are a part of our life today? It happens, and you are not just going to arbitrarily be blessed on the other side. It's very deliberate. So whether you're young or old, I think this will, will help you this morning. There's five things we're going to look at in this passage. We'll pretty much go through the Second Chronicles, the whole chapter, but they'll be on the screen. These five lessons that we're going to learn from this particular passage this morning is this. Number one, when you're being attacked or in a crisis, seek the Lord first. I mean, oftentimes when problems come up, the first thing we do is call a friend, we call the doctor, we call the, you know, the lawyer, we call the banker. Seek God first in the crisis. Secondly, you want to pray the right way. I'll show you that you can pray the wrong way, but it's praying the right way that gets God's attention. Number three, expect God to speak to you. God is a communicating God. God wants to direct our steps. He wants to show us what to do when we're in the midst of a, of a crisis. Number four, don't be afraid to act. Let I me mean, know it's not just, you know, God doing everything. We've got to get out and we've got to do something in partnership. And lastly, be sure to say thanks when God moves in your life. Let's look at it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the first point, seeking the Lord first. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. Now, they're assembled in Jerusalem. Solomon's temple is built. It's the most magnificent uh, church, if we can use the word, the most magnificent building that's ever been built. It was ornate. It was gold. It was this huge, huge temple. And literally, tens of thousands of people that lived in that nation had gathered here. In the particular context, there is three invading armies that have come together. Somewhere south of the Dead Sea, if you remember your geography, somewhere in that region, they have amassed together, and now they're on the western side of the Dead Sea, south of Jerusalem, they're ready to attack. And in the context, it's about a day or two away from this attack. Now, when there was, in the Old Testament, um, they, nations devoured one another. You know, in today's modern world, it's, you know, it's kind of poo-poo where we don't want, you know, one nation controlling another nation. But in their day, that's how you got ahead. You remember the conquest of the Caesars, the Roman Empire, that's how it was built. Their armies would go out and they would conquer nations and they would just absorb the nations. Uh, war was a way of life. And if you had the unfortunate privilege to be uh, 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 taken over, if you were the king Oftentimes, what they would do in their barbaric ways is, is first of all, they would, uh, they would kill your children before your very eyes. Oftentimes, they would ravage your wife, and, and then they would, they would gouge your eyes out. So the last thing you saw was those you loved killed and brutalized, and that's what would happen. They knew what was going on. They were about to lose everything. There was no one to protect them. It was a huge trouble on the horizon. Now, naturally, verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, fear is not a bad thing, but if you stay in fear, it'll define your life and keep God out. This morning, I want you to see that you can open the door of faith in the middle of fear. And that's exactly what he did. Fear didn't define them or stop them, but in the midst of the fear, he set his face to seek the Lord. He set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaims a fast. A fast is where you abstain from food or drink for a period of time. And it doesn't mean that God takes pleasure when you go hungry or when you're, you know, moaning and groaning, but literally it was a way to show intensity. Fasting is like a a spiritual accelerant. Like if you're going to make a barbecue, how many know you can start those coals with just a match and another match and and then another match and a little piece of paper, but how many know it works better if you put some lighter fluid on it? It's an accelerant. It, fasting is like a, a trigger. It's, a, it's an attention getter to, to increase. Because how many know when you're under spiritual attack, what you're trying to do is, is to get from earth to touch heaven. And fasting is a way to kind of break through those, those barriers that are there. Now, And that's this key thing in this first point, is Jehoshaphat didn't let fear control him, but his response was one of faith. So let's talk application. What do you do if you lose your job? You're going to work tomorrow and you think everything is going great and all of a sudden they say, look, we just can't afford to keep you anymore and bang, oh, you don't have a job. What do you do if you own a business and you've just invested heavily to make your business work for your biggest new account and you've bought equipment, you've hired people and they say, hey, look, uh, we're not going to be able to work with you anymore. We've had a crisis. They found an out in the contract and now you're stuck. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if, if, you, if, your, if your spouse comes home and just says, uh, I just don't love you anymore, I want a divorce? What do you do if you go to the doctor and the doctor sits you down and looks you eye to eye, as he did my wife and I in late November, and says, you have cancer? What do you do if your child runs away from home and leaves a note on your bed and says, I hate you, I, I never want to see you again? That's in those times of life that one or two things can happen. You'll either crumble, you'll collapse, fear will set in your life as you think the worst, or you can seek God, you can press in, come on, you can draw near to God, and you can find His strength to carry you through the day. Now let's pause and think about fear just a minute. I, I want you to imagine for a moment that, uh, let's say you're, you're a parent or you're a grandparent, uh, you, there's kids, young kids in your life, three and four-year-olds, And uh, they love to play in the sandbox, and there's toys everywhere, and you've got some people coming over to the house, and you're picking up the toys by the sandbox. Well, I hope you jump like I jump. I need to ask this, by the way. Anybody have snakes for a pet? Let me see your hand here. Anybody? Come on. It's okay. Lift your hand there. Don't be afraid. Yeah, we've got one there. Okay, see. Normally, if you weren't here, I'd have said the only good snake is a... But I'm not going to say that because you have a pet, okay? When you see that snake that is a danger, and there are good snakes, king snakes, and all that, I, I, I don't know that I know the difference, though, and I've been raised around it all my life. But when I see a snake, I'm going for a hoe or a gun. But I want you to think about that playground experience. Think about that sandbox where your kids love to play every time they come to grandma's house or, or every time they come home, they want to play. And if you just ran in the house because you were scared of the snake, how many know he's still going to be there when your kids want to go out and play? There's time to step up to the plate. And if you can't find the hoe or gun, by the way, send your wife out there, okay? She'll take care of that baby. How many know that? And, and, and I was going to say send, send that snake to heaven, but I'm not sure as theologically if snakes go to heaven. So anyway... This first thing, fear wants to shut you down and you have to respond in faith. You have to believe God. You have to seek the Lord first. And hear me, before you talk to the lawyer, let me know when you get the phone call, before you talk to the doctor, before you call your mom, before you talk to the banker, come on, before you talk to your whoever, the first call you want to make is to heaven. The first thing you want to do is make your connection with God And that's the first lesson that Jehoshaphat teaches us. Mind you, he knows the threat is there. It's real. He's not sticking his head in the sand. He's looking at it face to face. He begins to seek the Lord in the middle of his fear. And he begins to fast. Not only he, but the whole nation. So I want you to imagine tens of thousands of people have come together in Jerusalem. And they are there to seek the Lord. Now look at verse 5. The second point is pray the right way. And again, these points, if you, if you have an iPad, we put the notes on the internet. You can bring your iPad to church. Follow along with me. You can download it. You can look at it. But pray the right way. Now, how many know you can pray the wrong way or the right way? Prayer is very integral. Now, verse 5, Jehoshaphat, and here's his prayer. All the people are gathered there. They're scared to death. They don't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat says this prayer in verse 6. Oh, God, please help. We're going to die. Lord, they're going to take my family and I'm not going to be, ever be able to have money to buy a car. And if I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house. Oh, God, please, if you're really there and real, please help me. <laughs> now, prayer is not so supposed to be crying and whining. Stay with me now. Prayer is not telling God something he doesn't know. Prayer is your connection of dependence on God. Prayer is your, is, is, your, is your offering yourself for God's advice and God's... Listen to how he prayed. Now, this is... If you don't hear anything else in this message, I want you to listen to this. This will teach you how to pray in a crisis. Number one, verse 6, he said, O God of our fathers, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nation, and in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Now think about The first thing he prayed was who God really is. God is not some, you know, distant uh, uh, divine being among the many gods of the universe. No, He is the one true God. He is all-powerful. Come on, because you're looking at an army that's overwhelming. You're looking at an army that you don't have the ability to take care of. But what you're saying is, God, I'm approaching you because I know you can take care of the whole thing. If mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord, come on, you have seen a mountain of rock. It takes caterpillars and dynamite and it takes, it, takes, it takes all sorts of backhoes and rock-crushing equipment to build a highway through a mountain. But the Bible says in the presence of God, a mountain will melt like wax. You are talking in your prayers to the God of the universe who literally the scripture says God flung the stars from his fingertips. And when God said in Genesis 1, let there be light, come on, and stars began to appear, how many know the universe is still expanding at the speed of light? Come on, every second. How far is it, speed of light? like and How much? Okay, 186,000 miles per hour or second? See, this eclipses anything we can think of. But God just spoke it and it was and it's still going. God is that powerful. And that's the way that he started his prayer and he he verbalized this. When you pray out loud and your ears hear what you're saying, it makes a difference. Because you're trying to push fear aside. Now look at the second thing he prayed, verse 7. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham? Now what's he doing? He's looking over his shoulder, now hear this, and remembering what God has done. One of the greatest ways for you to have faith for what's in front of you is to look behind you and see what God's done in the past. Now God gave this land to them through Joshua's conquests. They are the descendants of Abraham. It's rightfully theirs, come on, but somebody's trying to take it away and he's going to God remembering what God has done. So if you want to see your faith for tomorrow, Bill, look back at God's faithfulness, come on, for yesterday, where you didn't know how you would make the payment, but God made a way, where you didn't know how you could recover from the sickness, but God made a way, come on, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, he keeps going, verse 8. Mind you now, he's not asked for a thing yet. All he said was, you're the great and awesome God, and I look back at what you've done for me. Now, verse 8, he says this, And they built for you in a sanctuary. This is Solomon that built the great temple. And God, through Solomon, gave a promise to the Israelite people. Verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, and let me know that's what these overwhelming odds are. They're a potential disaster. If a disaster comes upon you, uh, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, and we stand before this house the temple, and before you, and cry out to you in our affliction, you will what? Hear and save. So now what he's doing is he is declaring a promise that God made. This is why it's so important that you read your Bible, not just informationally, but allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, giving you guidance and direction. And now he is standing on the Word of God. Now this is huge because he's not asked for a thing. He simply declared the greatness of God in front of the people. He's remembered what God has done. He has now recited the promise of God made to him. And then he says in verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Now he asks... Mind you, he didn't whine and cry, and he didn't start out by saying, Oh God, please help, please help, please help, please help. No. The fourth time, and now they're in faith, Oh our God, will you not execute judgment on them? We are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Can I tell you, that's not a bad place to be, a place of dependence. It's a hard place to be, but it's a good place to be. Because after all, Doesn't the scripture say it's in Christ that we live and move and have our being? This illusion, if you've got your money, if you've got health and a credit card, how many know you don't need God? Now you do, but it's a lie. But when you face death, Hugo Chavez, the dictator in in Venezuela, died this week. You know what his last words were? Please don't let me die. Now, it's not funny, but that's as real as it gets. You know what his estate's worth? Two billion. Isn't it amazing how dictators around the world all end up super-duper wealthy? Come on, while everybody else is struggling. That's the, that's the outcome of socialism. Come on, let me tell you. Some people are flying in jets and they're riding driving Cadillacs, and, and, and the populace lives in poverty. But he said before he died, please don't let me die. Why? Because everybody faces death and everybody realizes I can't make it without God. And we'll find times in our life that brings us to a place of dependence. And it's a good thing because it connects us with God. Now, here's the third point. is You need to expect God to speak to you. Verse 14. Now, this is pivotal because... Now they're asking God what to do. We need to have expectation that God will speak. What's the New Testament say? Without faith it is impossible to please Him. So there's got to be an expectation. Look at verse 14. Now mind you, we've got tens of thousands of people gathered in prayer, fasting, seeking God for a period of time. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Now he's a Levite. We don't know much about him, but he's clearly a prophetic voice. He speaks for God. And here's what he said, verse 15. Thus says the Lord to you, don't be afraid. I mean, no fear is the great barrier. Don't be afraid or dismayed at this great horde of people. And listen to this, the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, that's a powerful, powerful perspective. perspective, That I'm not walking into my future alone, but I'm walking into my future with God. Now, listen to what he says. He says, tomorrow, go down against them. Listen. If God's going to take care of me, I just wish the check would be in the mailbox. How about you? But some most of the time, you got to go out and get it, because it's a partnership. You, God, blessing you and helping you as you go out onto the battlefield of life. You go out. But now, listen to this, verse seventeen. Sometimes God says the oddest things. You're not going to need to fight in this battle. I'd scratch my head and say, "Well, then, why do I have to go out there? Come on, it's daylight savings times. So I'd just rather sleep." you're not going to need to fight but you don't be afraid and be dismayed tomorrow you go out against them and the Lord will be with you now that's a powerful 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 statement where God has brought a word of assurance that you're gonna go and you do your part but as you go do your part which is simply showing up you're gonna see me show out So now look at verse 18 the response to this word of the Lord Jehoshaphat bowed his head With his face to the ground, mind you, he's either on his knees prostrate or laying prostrate on the ground. And all Judah falls before the Lord. So now we've got this sea of people laying on their faces in gratitude before God. But look at verse 19. The Levites stood up to praise the Lord with a very loud voice. So at some point these people began to get up Levites were the temple worshipers they assisted the priests they begin to blow their shofar blow their horns can you imagine this scenario thousands of people and all of a sudden if this gratitude that God's going to care for us there's this sound of victory and then people begin to stand and they begin to clap their hands come on and shout and begin to praise God Now that's a whole lot different than running in the house with snakes out there That's a whole lot different than cowering in fear. But their faith is not based on a wish or a hope or a genie's lamp. Their faith is based on the Word of the living God. That is crucial. Now, so the third lesson is this. We need to expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Because Jesus promised us He would. Now listen, John 16, 13. Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. And then what's it say? He will declare to you things to come. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, the Christian. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as a believer. When you invite Christ in your life, it is the deposit. It is the guarant- that which guarantees that which is to come. The Spirit of God somehow takes residence in your life. I cannot explain it. He is not dividing Himself in little bitty spirit pieces. He is somehow still the Holy Spirit. He is still omnipresent. He is the force of God, the person of the Godhead on the earth. But somehow a deposit of Him is made in your life. And my friend, He will guide you. And every one of us has this potential to hear the voice of the Lord, to know what to do. It's not spooky, it's not weird, but it is the product of a heart that walks with God and is grown in maturity. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now listen, a word from God can solve your crisis. Why don't you look at me eyeball to eyeball? If you're here and you're in a crisis, you're under attack, a word from God can solve your crisis. You may not know what to do, but God knows what to do. And then the cool thing, after that, they responded with worship and praise. Now, look at the next one. The, the, the fourth point, don't be afraid to act. Now, mind you now, it's pretty easy to have faith when the prophet says that God's going to help you. But now it's the next day. They've had a chance to sleep on it. Look at verse 20, though. They rose early in the morning. Now, that's pretty hard to do on daylight savings time for lots of folks. But these guys, now listen, what are they getting up to do? They're getting up to go face an army and not even fight the army. They're getting ready to go out there, and this is their faith in action. They get up early, and Jehoshaphat says, Hear me, believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be established. Believe his prophets, and you'll succeed. What's he doing? He's speaking into their fear, because all of us need encouragement. I mean, you know, the prophet speaks and we have faith. You know, when somebody prays for you in church around the altar, your faith is up. But when you go right in the world, come on, when you have a chance to think about it, and that's what can happen in the night season. See, having faith doesn't imply that you don't plan, that you don't prepare what you're going to do when you have the meeting, when you face the person or whatever. But somehow in that, you don't let the plans take over. You don't let the possibilities, you don't let the what-if scenarios control your mind. You want faith to control your mind. And he had to encourage the people. But now look at verse 21. He literally believed what God said, and he acted on it. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise Him, and they went before the army, and they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. Don't you get this picture? How many know when you go out to fight, you don't put a bunch of singers in front? I like, I've, I've liked uh, army and war movies all my life. I, I like to watch the old battles on television. If you've saw, if you seen, for example, uh, what was it called, Gladiator. You know, when, when, when it starts out in this scene and the Romans are in their last battle and, and they're fighting the barbarians. And, you know, you've got the Roman soldiers all lined up and you've got the barbarians, you know, in the woods. Well, the first thing they do, and, and here's what they call it. They had bow and arrows. They had oil. They dipped them in it. And, they, and, 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 and the... Uh, uh, the general went through and he said when i get my horse's positioned in the right place release hell they took all those bow and arrows and then they had great catapults and they shot fire into the enemy so all of a sudden you're standing there going whoo 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 and fires coming at you and your buddy gets hit in the chest and then he's burning before you that's the way you fight a battle i mean you know brave heart you know they take the the arrows first and they shoot them that's the way you fight a battle strategically in the flesh but in the spirit you put out the praise and worship team come on they unhook their electric guitar and they walk out in front of the army and they said we're serving a great God is it just possible that your praise has the potential to be a catalyst to release the presence and power of God in your life is it just possible that praise is the language of faith That getting up early is the response of faith that worship is the response of faith yeah Let's keep reading. Verse 22 is the coolest thing. When they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men. So praise is like the trigger. How many know a gun has the potential of of, of taking out a turkey, hopefully, in about a month? A gun has the potential of taking it out. But nothing happens till you pull the trigger. So when they begin to worship as an expression of faith, God, the Lord set an ambush against the men. Now look at verse 23. The men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Now, what does that mean? Remember now, we don't have just, we have one army coming against them, but it's composed of three different groups. Now, what you can imagine, you think about the rivalry between football teams. Imagine if we had uh, uh, the Texas High and Arkansas High and Liberty Ilo and all those kids got together in one room. You got rivalry. Well, that's exactly, you know, people are f- people. Are people. So they are destroying one another. I mean, maybe it goes something like this. Okay, this army. Now they're vastly outnumbered. I mean, it likely is several hundred thousand groups of pe- uh, hundred thousand people. So imagine if, let's say, that's the Ammonites over there, and we're the Moabites, and we're just kind of marching along. You know, we're tired. We're oh, we're ugly. We got blisters on our feet. Come on, we stink. We hadn't had a good hot meal in a while because we're going to take over these people. And you look over there and say, "Man, you ugly." And not only are you ugly, but your mama's ugly. Mama jokes. And all of a sudden, this marching that was going like this. What'd you say? I said, man, you, you and your mama are so ugly. You can't, I don't know what else you'd say. My mother's here, by the way, so I'm going to be careful. It's like a high school locker room. And all of a sudden, this guy over here said, this guy said, don't you say that again. What are you going to do if I say it? You say it, and I'll show you. And he then he comes over there, he says it again, and he cuts his head off. And then his brother-in-law who's with him saying, hey, that's my sister's husband. And he cuts his head off. This is what the Bible's saying. And God kind of turned them on one another. He just loosed in their midst what, listen, what Jehoshaphat could never do on his own. God can solve a crisis. And this, listen, this, listen to verse 25, or verse 24. When Judah came, there were dead bodies laying all on the ground. Didn't God say you're not going to have to fight? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But look at verse 25. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Now, what does that mean? That means all the stuff they had after they wiped each other out come on then they went to the supply wagons and there's a mercedes parked right there come on a mercedes chariot right there and the guy said from his from Judas said hey i think i'm gonna get that thing and look it's got a trailer hitch on the back of it get that trailer up there and look i want you to put that tiller that guy had a tiller he was a gardener i want you to put it in there and i know my wife would like the new dishwasher you know that he was carrying around come on he had some diamond rings on his fingers he get that's for his kids they spent three days, can you imagine? Three days picking up stuff. It's like Christmas. It, usually Christmas lasts anywhere from five minutes to 15 or 20 minutes. And if you can, the older you get, you kind of space it out where you watch. And then maybe it goes 30 minutes. They did it three days long. Now, how could that happen apart from God? That's exactly what happened. Now, here's a great, great lesson in this. This fourth lesson is when God speaks, you need to act. Don't let doubt or fear stop you. Let me read James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you needs wisdom, he should ask God for it. Now listen, stay with me as we wrap up here. If you don't know what to do when you're in a crisis, ask God. Now listen to what the New Testament promise is. Ask God for it, and God will give you wisdom without criticizing you. God will tell you what to do. It doesn't say God might tell you. He will tell you what to do. When somebody's praying for me about making a decision in life, I don't pray, Lord, show them what to do. Here's what I pray. Lord, let them have the courage to do it when you show them. Because the Bible promises us that God will show us what to do. Look in verse 6. When you ask God, you must believe and not doubt, because anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown up and down by the wind. Such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time. God is going to deliver me. No, he's not. God God will deliver me. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. No, He won't. No, He won't. No, He won't. An unstable man, doubting, double-minded, and they cannot decide about anything they do. They should not think they'll receive anything from the Lord. So doubt has the ability to work with fear to close the door of God moving in our life in the crisis. Somehow we have to move beyond doubt to our faith. And then, listen, praise becomes the antidote for fear. Now we're gonna we're, 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 let's 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 look at this last point. Go look at verse twenty six because the cool thing now, God blesses them more after the crisis. They've picked up stuff for four days, and I want you to see what they do as we close. Look at verse twenty six. Its last point is this: Be sure to say thanks. Can you say that with me? Be sure to say thanks. On the fourth day, mind you, battle one day, three days of of, of picking up the stuff, the blessing. The fourth day they assemble at the valley of Barakah. Now, this valley of Barakah, this word Barakah means blessing. So now we've literally named this whole area blessing. They've got all this stuff. They're riding, you know, in the chariots, pulling the wagons full of stuff with them. Uh, they assemble in this valley, for there, what did they do? They blessed the Lord. What does that mean? It means they worship. That's what we were doing in the first part of this service. We were not singing. We were worshiping and our worship was blessing the Lord. So they got all this stuff in their hands and they're looking at it and they're thinking about God is the one that did this for me. Stay with me now. But they didn't stop there. Look at verse 27. Then they returned to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord made them rejoice over their enemies. And what did they do? Verse 28, they came to Jerusalem, harps, lyres and trumpets and they came to the house of the Lord. And what do you think they did when they came to the house of the Lord? They said, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Come on, they put the singers there, they put the worshipers, and they begin to say, God is a great and an awesome God. Now, what's the message in this? When God answers your prayer, when God blesses you, be sure to say thank you. Isn't that what T-bowing is all about? Isn't that what Tim Tebow does? It's not just for his fame, but he just started out as a high school kid, as a college kid, and then a professional. And when God would do something, come on, he'd get out on his knee. Come on, they'll make fun of him on Saturday Night Live, but you know what? God smiles on him. Yeah. Several years ago, World Series, and I was trying to think of the guy. I think I think Oral Hershiser maybe, when he won the World Series with the Dodgers. Was that him? He's a Christian guy. Last pitch, strikes a guy out, or it was an out. First thing he did, tens of millions of people watching gets down on his knee come on he begins to thank god for what god did but isn't that the same thing we should do when we go to deposit our check at the atm machine you pull up at the atm machine and it says hey what's going on and you say well i'm about to give you some money okay and then i want some money from you but when you're putting those checks in don't you think you ought to say thanks lord for giving me this you can either say thanks lord for giving me this Or unconsciously, you can say, I worked pretty hard for this. I went to school a long time. I'm just getting my due back. I made a smart investment. This is just, you know, this is just the return on my money. Or you can say, Lord, I want to thank you that you're the one that provided for me. You're the one that helped me pick the location for the business. Come on. You're the one that gave me favor with my employer. You're the one that helped me get the bonus. You may say, "Uh, yeah, hey, look, but you're working, you know, 50 hours a week. I know, but the victory is the Lord's. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. God is the one. Listen, just like that, a blood clot could appear and your whole life is over. Just like that, a stroke and you're a vegetable, buddy. Just like that, God could take the oxygen out of the air. Come on, and you'd be gasping. God is the source of life. Don't you think it's the same thing we should do? If anybody has teenagers, you know what this is like. Teenagers' curfew tends to go longer and longer as they grow older and older. Just like your little kid when they were... You know, little bitty, they just went to sleep whenever they wanted to. All of a sudden, they're in the ninth grade. Well, Dad, everybody else gets to stay up till 11 o'clock. You know how that goes. But then they start driving a car and they start going out, and you're ready to go to bed, but you're not going to sleep. Come on, until your baby comes home. Because, number one, you know, you may need to go and look at them and smell on them a little bit. Come on, and see if anybody else got out of the car with them. But number two, you're laying in bed, and that little fearful thing says, what if something happened? They were supposed to be home at 1030. They hadn't answered a text. Come on. I don't know where they are. I'm not quite sure. And then you hear the car drive up, and then you hear the door close, and you hear that sound, I'm home. And what do you do? (sighs) Thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you answered the prayer for my child coming home. That's the way we should live. Come on. When God answers a prayer, whether it's little bitty or great big, we should pause and say, thank you to God who did it for us. Give Him a big hand, and you may stand to your feet today. God's a good God. Hey, we're going to close our service this way. You know, uh, uh, the whole essence of a message from the Bible is not just to give you some info. It's to ask the Holy Spirit, now, what do I do with this? How does this apply to my life? And I want to encourage you in these last three or four minutes that we have, we're going to sing a song through once or twice. I want you to give yourself the opportunity to have a little encounter with God, to let God kind of underscore some of this in your life. Let's just begin to sing, and he will put the words on the screen, and we're just going to worship the Lord a moment together. Into the darkness you shine And with the ashes we rise There's no Come on, praise Him. There's none like, you, none like you, Lord. There's none like you. None like you, Lord. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome power. Our God. Our God are greater. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Come on, I'll reach out to him this morning one last time. Against, what could stand if against If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand pray a moment together. Lord, every one of us in this room wants to be like Jehoshaphat. Every one of us in this room knows what fear is like. Fear has the potential to shut us down, whether it's we see the snake, or we see the invading army, or we we see the lawyer's caller ID, or whether we get the certified letter in the mail, or whether we go in the doctor's office and we know it's not going to be good. We know what this is like. But Holy Spirit, today I want to pray that you would just open our hearts of faith like never before. That we, like Jehoshaphat, would be able to defeat our doubts and our worst fears with a word from God and a confidence in your very presence. Lord, I want to pray for all of us today because likely the Holy Spirit put his finger on some things. Maybe we're here today and maybe many of us are struggling deeply with fear. Maybe it shuts us down. And we don't go any farther. It paralyzes us. Well, I just pray over these folks today. The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. And I want to pray that you move them out of the fearful place of life into the faith-filled life. But for others that are here today, we, we pray the wrong way. Would you remind us, Holy Spirit, in the days ahead, not to whine and complain and not to inform you. But would you remind us to start our prayer life extolling God for who He is. God is a healing God start our prayers by saying this that Lord you're the one that went around doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil and Lord if you were able to heal back then you can heal cancer today because you're the same yesterday today and forever so, so help us to pray that way help us to remember what you've done before help us Lord to have a word from God and, and know what the promise is and then you give you worship Lord after you answer it Lord help us to have courage to act It's easy to have faith in church. It's hard when we get out in the world. Would you give us courage to act and would you give us an ability to hear clearly from the Lord? Would you give us spiritual maturity so we would know your voice but give us a confidence and an eagerness? And then, Lord, when you show out, let us be sure to say thank you. Just remind us of these things, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Hey, this is a great day, wasn't it? Great day. Sure glad you came this morning. I want to close with one last prayer, they're going to sing this through one time, but we want to make a personal opportunity for prayer. Group prayer is great, but sometimes you just feel you need to seal the deal with another person. You may be here and you may really struggle, you know, some, all fear is out there, but sometimes there's a real spiritual stronghold of fear. You may need somebody to pray for you and lay hands on you and believe in God, that God can break that thing off of your life. I don't know what it may be, it, it may be, you may be in that crisis today. When I was talking about being under attack, I mean, you're, you, you might have perked up today because you're right in the middle of it. And listen, if that's you, I would encourage you to let somebody pray for you today. But the most important thing this morning is a prayer for you to get right with God. See, just as Hugo Chavez left this world and has entered the next, we're going to do the same thing one day. And my friend, there's only one way to make it to the other side alive, come on. That's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I bring you good news today, and that is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. So you wouldn't have to stand before God on Judgment Day and give an account. Christ has stood in your place. Jesus Christ has offered that. They killed him on the cross. He paid the penalty. They buried him. But I'm here to tell you, he came back alive. He's the only person that's ever done that. And today, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And his salvation is available to every one of us today. But you know what? You've got to personally receive it. You've got to receive Christ. You've got to not only ask for his forgiveness, you've got to surrender your life to him, put your life in his hands, come on, and leave your old life behind. You can do that this morning. The same thing I did on August fifteenth, 1976. I wrote my name in that Gideon's Bible after I read the plan of salvation. It changed my life. It can change yours. So as we begin to pray, we're going to sing this through one time and then dismiss. But as our prayer team comes now, and if you need prayer for anything, you just slip out of the chair with them, and we'd be honored to pray for you. You say, well, I don't know if I need to come up there. If you feel a pull between coming up and running out, (laughs) I'd come on up and I'd let somebody pray for you. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for being here this morning. Come on up, prayer team. Let's begin to sing this one last time, and you come let us pray for you this morning. And out of the ashes we, we rise. rise, there's no one, one like you. Not like.